Hello, my friends. Welcome again to the Deeper Daily Podcast, September 24th. Paul White here. Thanks for joining us as we continue into Mark chapter 16. This, of course, is the final chapter of our journey in the Gospel of Mark. We've arrived at the stone having been rolled away. Let's pick up the reading today in Mark 16, 5 and entering the tomb. They saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. First of all, let's describe the tomb. This is a little different for us because we don't bury our dead in the same manner that they did in that part of the world in that time period. The dead were buried almost exclusively above ground in caves, hewn rocks. They were buried in places where their bodies could decompose and then their bones be collected. That would clear space for multiple generations to be buried in the same family tomb. These were carved out slots inside of the caves where you could slide the bodies in or lay the bodies. And they had little vestibules, uh, almost a lobby. You would go into a burial chamber and then there would, at the far end of the chamber would be the individual bench sometimes a shelf, and that's where they lay the body of the deceased. Um, that's how we know, they. that's how they buried Jesus, because it tells us in the last chapter there was a tomb cut out of a rock. And so the little vestibule or the little lobby at the front was to separate people who were visiting from the multiple bodies that might be in the tomb. And you, you would, of course, put oftentimes you try to put the freshly dead, I'm trying to say this respectfully, say it properly, uh, maybe put the freshly dead farther away from the stone, from the door, for obvious purposes. Um, And so you would go in because it was common to visit the body. They would often go in and anoint it, go in to keep the smell, um, keep it from stinking, keep the stench down. So this is part of the process of the anointing of the bodies, and it wasn't just a one-time thing. It might be something they did repeatedly. Some of this we only know from conjecture, some of this from writings, but it's not as if the Bible gives us the details of why these things happen. So they enter into this little area in the tomb, and there's a young man sitting to the right, and you can imagine how frightening that would be to enter the tomb space And to walk into the tomb space and there be a young man dressed in a white robe just sitting there inside the tomb. In Matthew's gospel, he calls this an angel that they meet at the tomb in Matthew 28. Uh, We talked about this man and what it might mean in the Mark narrative, but I want to point out verse 6. He said to them, do not be alarmed. My response to do not be alarmed is, yeah, right, right? (laughs) Don't, Don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. That phrase, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, is something that Mark did early in his narrative. And this was quite a while back, way back, probably in January, when we started this year. We, We started at the top of the year with the top of Mark. Well, way back in chapter 1... If you will recall, 
Jesus is healing, the, he's in Capernaum, and he heals the man with an unclean spirit. And as the unclean spirit comes out of the man, he, he cries out, Mark 1, 24, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And of course, Nazareth is Jesus' hometown where he lived. He probably makes his earthly ministry in Capernaum, but that makes him a Nazarene. This is a little village just west of the Sea of Galilee. And it seems like something Mark likes to do. He does it in chapter 1, he does it in chapter 16, is to name him as Jesus of Nazareth. And this is probably because already there are those who are sort of capitalizing again on the Jesus name. Jesus, Yeshua, was not an uncommon name. In fact, we told you when Barabbas is released, we his name is Yeshua Barabbas, Jesus, son of the Father. He's a different version of the Son of the Father. He's he's the version of the Son of the Father that is too often propped up as the Son of the Father, this militant leader that's going to overthrow things. In some ways, the Jesus many people are looking for is Barabbas, not Jesus of Nazareth. Mark seems to go to great lengths, both in chapter 1 and chapter 16, to establish that we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. And I think what that could mean is that the world into which Mark wrote his gospel, which was no doubt a first century world, and we have every reason to believe he's the first to write down the stories of Jesus, not the first to tell them, but in a world in which the Yeshua story is getting broader and broader, Mark wants to make sure people know who he's talking about. And there there have been other Jesuses. Um, in fact, Paul says to the Corinthians that if someone come along preaching another Jesus, I'm afraid you would accept him. Now, I take that to be spiritual, like another version of Jesus, and I think that's what Paul means, but you could take it to be literal. Jesus, Yeshua, is Savior or Deliverer. Paul could be saying someone comes along preaching to you another Savior, another Deliverer, and and you're getting all excited about them, but that's not your Savior. That's not your deliverer. And so Mark wants to sort of pin that title, Jesus of Nazareth, crucified and now risen, not here to see the place where they laid him. Um, That's going to be the message that he is risen. The gospel of Mark reaches this climactic moment in the confession that Jesus is the son of God and then the declaration of his resurrection. Um, And that's that attests everything Jesus has said regarding his his uh, kingdom coming in power. Um, if he doesn't resurrect, none of that is true, but the resurrection of Jesus establishes that reality. Let's talk resurrection. How can we not? We'll, we'll go deeper into this tomorrow. See you then. God bless.